0: Sarah Evans was commissioned as an officer in the United States Air Force. While serving in Afghanistan in 2012, she was diagnosed with bone cancer, eventually leading to the amputation of her left leg at the hip. Captain Evans would be introduced to adaptive sports at Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio, Texas, which led her to compete in the Warrior and Invictus Games. Her no quit mentality also led her to completing the 26.2-mile Baton Memorial Death March on crutches and summiting Mount Kilimanjaro. In addition to working on a graduate degree, she currently lives in Florida with her husband and two sons, where sports have become a family affair. So, Sarah, I like to normally start uh, asking my fellow veterans uh, just in terms of what uh, compelled you to enlist.
1: I grew up in a military family. My dad was a career Air Force officer and um, he retired when I was very young. So I had the benefit of not having to actually move around like most military kids, but still reap all the benefits of, you know, having a father that served and, you know, and hearing those stories and seeing, you know, you know, the man that had made him. And I was very close to my dad. always wanted to be just like my dad. Um, And so, you know, tagging along with him and, you know, going to the base and learning about the planes and um, just inspired this very deep love of the military and the air force. And I always, I knew I always wanted to, you know, follow in his footsteps. And there was really, I mean, I think from the fourth grade on, there was no other option for me. Like now in hindsight, when I look back, I'm like, Oh man, there's all these different career fields that I could have gone into. They're so interesting, but I never, I was so just focused on, this is what I want to do. and I'm going to make it happen. That that's what eventually led me, you know, down the path I took. And I, and I love it. I, I love that. That's the path I, I took. I don't have any regrets.
0: And what was his uh, MOS or job in the, in the air force?
1: He did a lot of different things. He actually started in the army. Um, okay. He went to Vietnam and was infantry with the army, came back from Vietnam and said, yeah, military is not for me. I don't want to be in the military anymore. <laughs> um, and, you know, was done with his enlistment. And so he went to college and he got his degree and then he changed his mind. It's like, actually, no, I missed the military and now I want to be an officer. So he commissioned into the Air Force and was a missile operator out of Minot, North Dakota. Mm-hmm. Um, so down in the bunkers with the keys, those guys, um, and did that for a long, long time. And then um, he eventually went and transitioned to a more logistics role and worked with Red Horse
0: and um,
1: yeah, did that. So he did a little bit of everything
0: and then likewise what about you obviously since your dad served in army and air force um, did you have one did you did you want to serve in one one particular branch or or how did you come to making that decision and also with your mos
1: um it was always air force for me um probably just cuz familiarly when i was mm-hmm when I was a child, I wanted to be a pilot and was like the dream fly jets and Top Gun and all that, you know, kind of stuff. Um, as I got older, I still loved the air force, but realized that I did not have the personality or the capacity to actually want to go through pilot training. Um, and that it was very, very, very competitive. Um, and so I was getting my degree in accounting and finance just was a really good fit in and, and a way I could serve and still, you know, be active duty, but also, you know, do it from a career field that I really enjoyed. I like numbers and I like spreadsheets and um, finance was a good fit for me. And that's what was chosen for me in the end. I really, you know, they kind of tell you where the needs of the Air Force and they kind of tell you where you're going to go. But I, I was happy with, with that one. And um, so that's what I did.
0: Yeah, and that's what I when I interact with, you know, young people or, or others, there, a lot of folks don't realize that there's just about every career opportunity in the military as you would have in the civilian life, uh, and so you know to to not rule that out or not think that there's only you know one one thing that everyone does in the military. So I think that's good to to because I was you know a supply clerk and a quartermaster in the army so you know I'm like it's um you know there's lots of other jobs besides besides infantry or in addition to infantry so um so that's good to, good to share and where did the citadel come into play?
1: so the citadel was kind of crazy. Cause like I grew up with my, well, my dad, you know, telling me about the military and taking me all these places. And any, anytime there was like a, you know, a military base, we'd go check it out or a museum, you know, air and space in DC. We did, you know, all those things. Cause he was also a history buff. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had grown up in the Carolinas in North Carolina. And a lot of his buddies had gone to the Citadel. Um, he did not. He went to Vietnam. And then when he came back, like I said, he was not interested in the military. And so he went to Wake Forest and um, but then he always had these big regrets because the Citadel is just rich in history and a military college and um, lots of values, integrity, and just like they build, yeah, at the time, great men, because it was a male-only institution for a very long time. Um, but growing up, he would take me to football games, mm. and I fell found- in School, And I don't think it was ever his intention for his daughter to go there because it wasn't even an option when I was a kid. There were no females there, but we would go to the games and we would go to open barracks and go like, look and see the pipe band. The, they have bagpipes there and go down to Fort Sumter and go down the battery in Charleston and just fell in love with the school. And then Nancy Mace graduated from there and that opened the door <laughs> that it was an option. And I remember initially when I told him, Hey, I think at, up until that point, I had been, had my eyes on the Air Force Academy and I was like, you know, I don't think I want to do the academy. I think, I think I want to go to the Citadel, (laughs) be a good challenge, you know, um, in a lot of ways. Anyway, um, (laughs) and initially he was like, I don't think so. I don't think you should do that. You know, you don't want to go and then quit, right? That was the fear that I would go and be like, this is way too hard. I don't like this. I don't like this environment. Um, I'm not up for this. I mean, I grew up in ballet, like, <laughs> and then I was going to go to this military college where you march around, you shine your shoes and you like have to, you know, do hospital corners in your beds, racks. Um, he was, I think his concern was, yeah, you know, I believe in you, but also like, you don't want to go and then decide it's not for you and then have to start over. Like, why don't you look somewhere else? Right. And, uh, but I got early acceptance. I mean, they, they they got early acceptance, so that was promising. And then the Air Force gave me an ROTC scholarship and was gonna pay for it. Um, and that was the senior year of my high school. My dad got sick, he had cancer, and he passed away that year.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So like, I was super motivating, cause like, I felt like I was doing something that he would have been very proud of. Mm-hmm. Quitting was never an option how do you quit at that point? You know, I made it through and very proud of myself for doing that.
0: Um, I'm sure he was too. Yeah. I'm sure he is too. (laughs) Yeah. And so at least, at least you did it for dad, right? So You did it for yourself, but also for your dad. (laughs) Exactly.
1: You know, I did do it for him, but I did it very much for myself too. Um, And one of the best decisions I've ever made. I mean, the Citadel was hard. It was very, very hard. I don't think I could do it again. <laughs> having like, if I go back in time and I like, had to make that decision again, absolutely. But two times around, no, <laughs> right, <laughs> but it was good. Right. I mean, like connections, my roommates and nights will talk to this day. I got my commission out of there um, and it instilled a lot of values in me. It made me a very strong person um, and having that no quit mentality, I think translated not only to my career, but my personal battle with cancer. Um, and just my life, I think it was just, just, it was good. It was exactly what I needed, exactly when I needed it. And I'm forever grateful that I had that opportunity and that I did it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was purposeful and probably all meant to be right. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And, and so when. Uh, since you got a commission, obviously you went in as a, as an officer. Was that, was that also part of the plan or were you interested in going in as, as a non-commissioned officer or, you know, as, a, as enlisted at some point?
1: Um, no, officer was always the plan. Um, I have the utmost respect for, you know, the guys that enlist right, you know, right away or even later in life. Um, for me, I think it was just, my dad had been an officer and I grew up, I feel like my generation grew up at a time where it was like, you go to college or, you know, you're going to struggle, which I don't think is true these days. Like I have an argument against that. Like if my kids want to go to college, I will fully support them. And that's what we'll do. But I think there's a lot of value in enlistment and a lot of value in like trades, the trade skills too. And like, I, you know, hindsight, like I, my enlisted friends, I see like the experiences and the growth that they had because of the path they went down. And there is a little bit of like, not regret, but like longing for that. Like, I'm, I feel like I missed out a little bit. Like they definitely have a different, you know, that path, especially like the guys that are enlisted and then, you know, commission afterwards, like they just have that background that I'll never have. And I respect that. And. You know, I wish maybe i and growing up, I would have considered it. I was um was stubborn, still I am stubborn. <laughs> um, and so when I you know set my mind to something, there's like no other options, but in hindsight, like, probably should have considered it. i I don't know that that would have you know changed my path and I probably still would have taken the path I took, but um, yeah.
0: So so once you're in the Air Force, um, you know were you were you moved around every now and then, you know, in terms of different duty assignments or duty stations, and uh, and walk us through that, um, you know, that time frame when you were when you were active uh, actively serving as an officer.
1: Yeah, so I commissioned and then I went. It's not a thing anymore, but in two thousand eight, um, brand new second lieutenants would go to Maxwell Air Force Base in Alabama, and they would go to it was called Air. ASBC Airspace Basic course is a, just a basic course on like intro to all right, here we are, let's do this. Um, so I spent a couple months there, and then I got my first assignment to Montana, Great Falls, Montana. It's a missile base, which was cool because like, you know, my dad was a missile officer, but I was doing finance up there. Um, met my husband there, met Joe there. He was a helicopter pilot. And um, all the young CGOs, uh come to great officers, the second lieutenants, first lieutenants, and captains, you know, all Gravitated towards each other and hang out, and um, so I got to know him, and we eventually got married in Montana.
0: Was he an I, too?
1: Yeah, he's, he's a pilot, so he was he was a first lieutenant, and I was a second lieutenant.
0: And I actually know where Great Falls is, so.
1: <laughs> yeah, Great Falls is beautiful. Like, so I was not happy when I got that assignment because I'm from the southeast, grew up in Florida, went to school in Charleston. I wanted the beach, and so I initially asked, like, you get to do a wish list top Mm -hmm. six bases you want to go. And they were all coastline in the Southeast, all the Florida bases, all the, you know, I think Mississippi maybe. And then they sent me to Montana, like an hour South of the Canadian border. And I was like, I will not survive up there. Um, It's cold. I don't know how to drive in snow and there's nothing there. And it's not, it's landlocked. Like, but it's been my favorite assignment so far. I mean, I don't think I could live there again because it is cold, Um, but I'm desperate to go visit again. Um, and go spend time there. And we still have friends there. And I, anytime I'm in a couple of Facebook groups for, you know, young women officers, and anyone that comments, hey, I got signed to Mountstrom, tell me about it. I just, I can't say enough good things. Like, don't be sad about being there. Like, live it up. Like, take it for what it is and just, like, make the most of being there because it's just a beautiful place. It's, you know, Glacier National Park is there. I learned how to ski and snowboard and hike and whitewater raft and kayak, and I went fishing. Um, and it was just so eye opening, and I'm forever grateful that I got that assignment. Like as much as I complained when they told me that's where I was going, like it's been my favorite place I've lived. It's just it's an amazing place.
0: I was going to actually ask you if that's where you learned to ski. So you already said that. That's awesome.
1: I had never, I had never seen snow. I don't think. And so my flight up there, I had a layover in Salt Lake, and it was snowing. And I remember just going outside and watching the flakes fall. I'm like, all right, this is my life now. I better, you know, take advantage of this. And yeah, learned how to ski there, and it was so much fun. I was tasked with a 365 deployment. I was supposed to, Joe and I had just gotten married. And then three months after that, I was going to head out to Afghanistan for a year. And then I was going to get, while in Afghanistan, we would get orders, Joe's probably getting orders and with joint spouse, I was just going to follow him because I would get basic preference. So um, we weren't sure where we were heading after my deployment, but uh, so I went over I was only in country for three months, uh, when my diagnosis happened. And so, um, I was working out of Kabul and I went to Bagram. They diagnosed me and said, you know, we're not even sending you back to Montana. We're going to send you to Texas. Cause there's a doctor in Texas that is going to treat you because he's the, he's the man that's going to save your life. And it was the right call. Um, so they called Doctor out already up at like, I think it was 1 a.m. Texas time and said, Hey, can we send Sarah straight to you? Like, don't pass go, just straight to you. Um, and he said yes. And so they got me on medevac and I flew straight to Texas. Joe loaded the dog up in the car and drove straight south from Montana and met me there. Um I think he got there like a, maybe an hour before I got off the ambulance. Um, and then I was in Texas for treatment. And then I was assigned to a patient squadron down there and then um, when I was done with treatment, I was still active duty, waiting on my med board re- results. So I uh, worked in finance there too until until that was done. Um, and then Joe was still, still serving, so he won his assignment. So the Air Force had given him a humanitarian assignment, a non flying gig, so that he could be my caregiver. Which was, I mean, they really just took care of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so his sole job, while still being active duty, was to take care of me. Um, but then he also got to do some stuff with the the RPA squadron down there too, and and still do some pilot related duties. Um, but when I was all better, it was you know returned to flying status. So he got orders and took us to DC. So we went to DC um, to Andrews Air Force Base. Um, we lived in Alexandria, and I worked. I took a job with Homeland Security and worked as a budget analyst for them as a GS employee, and really really enjoyed it. Uh, and then we started having kids. <laughs> so I I decided to step back from my career um and 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 raise our children. And now we're in Florida.
0: <laughs> and, and so for them to almost ship you immediately to Brooke, uh you know, do not pass go. I must have been a um a late diagnosis or a severe diagnosis.
1: Yes, yeah. So they didn't yeah, the type of cancer I have or had um I ended up being diagnosed officially with stage three spindle cell osteosarcoma, which is a bone cancer. And it's very hard to diagnose. Um, It's funny because like, you know, you go on WebMD and you put in your symptoms and almost always comes back with cancer. You're going to die. My symptoms, there were none. I think this, I, I tell people all the time that this deployment saved my life because I didn't have symptoms. I was doing a P90X program with my office. I was running, I was working out. I felt great. There was nothing wrong with me. The only thing that was concerning was when I would put on the flak vest, all the gear to go outside the wire. It was heavy, and it was making me limp on my left side. Not hurt, but limp. And I'm like, why am I limping? Like, like almost like a weakness in that left leg. And it felt like the joints in my hip needed to pop, like that feeling in your knuckles when right mm-hmm. before you pop that's what it felt like in my hip when it was compressed with that weight and what that was, was a tumor. Um, and so the doctor at, at Kabul was like initially on because of how I describe it said, Oh, that's bursitis. It's fluid built up in the joint." Um, I'm going to send you to Bagram. You're going to see a physical therapist. You're going to do some exercises or stretches, um, maybe an anti-inflammatory, and then you'll come right back. So I packed a day bag, told my office, I'll see you guys tomorrow. Like, I'm just going to go down and learn how to stretch, I guess. Um, And went down there. And so I fully believe if I had been at home, I wouldn't have ever gotten it checked out because I don't typically carry 40 pounds on my chest and walk around. Um, and it would have just been written off as bursitis. If I had gone in, the only reason the Bagram guys took a closer look was because they had just purchased a brand new MRI for the country. I was the only one in country. It was highly debatable because before this, if you had a situation where you needed an MRI, you were going to go to Germany. You're, they were going to medevac you to launch stool to the hospital and you would get an MRI there. So they almost didn't buy this machine for the country, but they just got it. And I was there, and I was waiting for my flight back. And it's like, you're here. Let's just look. Let's take a look at some images as a baseline, um, so that if it gets worse, we can, you know, have this to refer back to. You know. So I went. I got the machine. It was in a trailer in the parking lot, and it the images came back, and there was a 14 centimeter mass in my pelvis that was causing all the problems. And that doctor that was there. Um, Dr. Sayed, who I haven't seen since, and I need to find him so I can write him a very long thank you letter, um, said, you know, I can't formally diagnose you, but I'm pretty sure I know what this is. And there's a, there's an army doctor at Brook that specializes in this and I'm going to call him. I want you to go see him. And so that's just how that unfolded. And it was just, again, right place, right time. If I hadn't have been there, like this, this type of cancer spreads and usually it's found once it hits the lungs and by then it's terminal. So it's very fortunate because I think if I had not deployed, that's exactly what would have happened to me. I would just have continued on with life until it spread until, until it would have killed me. So
0: until it was too late. Yeah. And, and so was um, amputation the only option at that point, or were they, were they talking about different options once you, once you were Once you got the diagnosis.
1: Um, So that was a shocking part because like I said, my dad had cancer. He had colon cancer completely unrelated. We've done genetic mapping to try to see if there's kind of, you know, connection there. Um, And uh, as far as we know, no, but his was so far spread that he broke his hip because his colon cancer had metastasized everywhere and was in his bones and he had a weakened hip. And so he broke his hip. Mm. Uh, And so But then he had a hip replacement during treatment, so I thought that was my path. Like, oh, okay, like this might take me out, but next step is a hip replacement. Um, And when I like still in containment because I had just come in from country, like uh, the doctor already came and met me in the hospital room, and he mentioned amputation, and I immediately was like, no way! Like, I need a new doctor. We're not like my leg is fine, and my leg was fine. It was you know, it's in my hip. I need a new hip. Like you're not taking the leg, give me a new hip. Um, and so he was very upfront about it and very honest and historically like that's been treatment. And he wanted me to know right away that that was a very likely possibility, but we did talk about limb salvage and we did do chemotherapy and radiation prior to my surgery to try to shrink the tumor, kill the tumor, um, enough, in order. I mean, they had already, they built me a pelvis out of not titanium, but some kind of like fancy new age, crazy metal blend. I don't know. They even like had a, a cadaver pelvis on order, like, or, you know, in case that was like, in case that's what I needed, um, to have it was like an organ transplant with what, with cadaver bones, which to this day still kind of gives me the heebie but, um, that's a thing that they do and it's very successful. And so they had all these things in place to try to save my leg. Um, and I read, they provided me with lots of case studies with both you know, people that had done that and then and, you know, people that had gone with the amputation and quality of life post that. Um, in the end, the best chance for me to have long-term survivability was to do the amputation. This was because the tumor had shrunk. Chemo was very um, successful for my cancer. But in order to give you the best chances, they have to take a healthy margin of tissue around the tumor, around the cancer, um, because of the little microscopic cancer cells that could still be there. Um, and I had a very main artery that was millimeters within the tumor site. So, in order to get the healthy margins, they had to take the artery, and taking the artery meant I lost the leg. Um, and my doctor said, you know, like you, there is a doctor out there that you can probably find that will do limb salvage that will save your leg. If that, if that's the only thing you'll be willing to do. And he told me, like, he looked me in the face and said, but I will not be that doctor to do that. And I, if you go that route, I will not sleep at night because it's, you know, not the best option. And so that was, you know, and I was, you know, I wanted to be as aggressive as possible. I wanted to survive it. I wanted, you know. I didn't want to take the less conservative or the more conservative F, um, options and then have the cancer come back and be like, well, what if, what if I had just been more aggressive or gone the harder path? I thought that that would be really hard to face. So I was like, I'm going to do everything I can to survive this so that if it does come back and it does take me out, I can say, well, I did everything. There wasn't anything else that I could have done to try to, you know, save my life. So I went forward with it and and it was also helpful that, you know, with all those case studies I read, the people that did do the limb salvage, their quality of life was still pretty bad. Like they still, most of them were wheelchair bound. They had a leg, but it wasn't functioning or it was very little functioning. Couldn't weight bear on it. Couldn't have children, couldn't carry a pregnancy, um, couldn't go horseback riding, couldn't run. It was like, why keep a leg for aesthetics, you know, essentially at that point um, and be wheelchair bound and be in pain too. There's a lot of pain associated with that. And we were another wonderful, incredible thing about being in San Antonio was so the center for the intrepid was there. And so I got to see prosthetics and advancements and see what these guys and girls were doing and how they were living with amputation. And I was like, that's the quality of life I want, not these this quality that I'm reading about if I have that option. So, all, all roads <laughs> pointed towards this is this is the right decision for you, Sarah. <laughs> Let's go ahead and amputate. It was still really hard because at that point, well, up until this point, the, the tumor had been growing before I could get treatment started. And I did start using crutches because it was starting to hurt. And the chemo worked and shrunk the tumor down to where it didn't hurt anymore. So I was walking. Like the day before, I wanted to walk. Everywhere. So we went to the zoo and I just walked and I walked and I walked on two legs, on two feet, two biological legs. Um, and walking into the hospital and then signing the paperwork saying that you are electing to amputate the seemingly fine leg, it was a hard signature. Um, but it ultimately did save my life. And since then, I've met a few other people that had the same diagnosis as me. Um, who not because they didn't know um, the, you know, the rest did limb salvage. It was mainly because of misdiagnoses, because um, that's also very prevalent. Um, they did limb salvage or I was caught too late and they're not with us anymore. And that's hard. Cause I, you know, I meet them. We have you know, so much to relate to each other and then I've watched them die because theirs was caught just a little bit later than mine or their medical team wasn't as aggressive or they made different right. decisions to save their leg. And, you know, that's very humbling for me to, you know, know that I was fortunate enough to be able to have those options and take those options. Um, so again, no regrets, absolutely no regrets with the path. I took, um, cause I'm here, I'm 10 years out from treatment. And, um, the, the prognosis I was given, even hey. after, all the chemo, all the radiation, and the amputation—it was only a 60% survivability rate to five years. So that's not good. Those are not good. On, they're not great um, to make it to five years. But for my prognosis and my, you know, all my factors, <laughs> if you get to five years, that rate drops or increases, I guess, to 95%. So I'm—they've used. I hesitate to use the word cured but my doctors have used that word cuz my my risk factor for a recurrence from my cancer coming back is very low which is amazing. I've I have a higher chance of getting a secondary cancer now which is still very low but I've just been I've received a lot of radiation. <laughs> so now we have to, you know, keep an eye out for those kinds of thing things but I am I mean they don't even want to see me anymore
0: really. <laughs> Yeah, like you said, there's a lot of radiation in your body. <laughs> <So> hopefully, it <laughs> will prevent prevent any more. Now, obviously, you were active uh, in sports and recreation before um, uh, the surgery. You know, you mentioned you danced. Um, you know, snowboarding and skiing and and some of the recreational activities. Uh, Brook is a fabulous place for adaptive sports. So during your rehab. Uh, I know. I imagine you were introduced to different sports. Were there ones that you um, tried that that you that you liked, and or that you hadn't done before? And how did how did sports play a role in your rehabilitation?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it was such a shock to me to be in that world, and I'm so grateful that I was there and like because i can i can picture myself going down a different path having been you know maybe a civilian um and going to civilian facility where it was more like you know geriatric patients you know from like losing you know limbs like just you know like not a military focused like these guys were wanting to go back to war like um and i could see you know not really like finding motivation or wanting to really push myself probably like having a, a much lower baseline of what my my like lifestyle was gonna be like just getting by, like and being, I probably would have been okay with that. Like I I tell people all the time, like I had every excuse in the world to just not do anything. Right. I cancer patient missing a leg. Like I could have milked that for everything it was worth and just been like, I can't do anything anymore. Like look at me. I'm so disabled. Like I need a full-time caregiver all the time. Like I, you know, I need to be confined to a wheelchair and have like all the like I can't Get into the shower by myself because I'm on one leg, you know, I have all the excuses and everyone, no one would have bet an eye at that. And they probably would have, my family and my community would have supported me and been like, all right, what do we need to do to help Sarah? But being at Brook and being introduced to adaptive sports changed that outlook and that course for me. And it's so like, just, I mean, it's hard. It's so hard to describe. Cause like I went thinking, okay, I get fit. I get physical therapy. You know, they're gonna show me how to transfer. They're gonna show me, you know, like adapt, like you know, all those things, right? And then there's gonna be occupational therapy too. Okay, great. I had never heard of recreational therapy before, <laughs> but that was like that third part of it at the center for the trapeze was just it was equal, if not more, to the other OT and PT. You know, all of them were important and they all worked together. <laughs> but you know, I met Heather there, who's the recreational therapist, and she's like, hey you want to go cycling? (laughs) Um, I have one leg. How do I don't write? I can't, I'm never going to ride a bike again. Right. I'm never going to ride a bike again. Like no, we have, you know, well, you could, you could ride a bike, but also we have hand bikes and, um, you should come hand cycling with us. There's operation comfort here in town. They've got hand bikes. And every Wednesday we go and you, you start off small and you can do whatever you're comfortable with, but you should come out and try it. It's a break from the hospital. It's a great, it's a break from your physical therapist, which, you know, I, I loved Marie, but, you know, it gets, you know, a little, it's the same thing over and over. It's frustrating. You know, you're trying to learn how to balance and it's, you know, I said, I, I loved it, but in the moment it was, it was hard work. And also just, it was just hard. It's just it's a break. We'll just go, we'll load you up on the bus and we'll, we'll go out and meet Janice with Operation Comfort. And, you know, you can, you can try it out and see if you like it. It's so a three weeks post-op. I was in a bike <laughs> and I rode still bald because still doing chemo. I uh, rode like maybe three fourths of a mile and it was hard. And it's with your arms and, you know, there's all these other guys out there, like missing both legs or, you know, one leg or one arm. And they were all doing it. And they, you know, they were going for miles and miles and miles. They were like riding, I think 30 miles was their standard. And I did three quarters a mile. And I remember like, it was the first time that I got my heart rate up. I was like huffing and puffing. I was like, Oh, I forgot this feeling. Cause I'd been in treatment for a while by then. Was, like, this feels good. So like push my body I had pushed my body in that way, you know, I hadn't pushed my body like to do something physically active. I've been in hospital beds or recovering from surgery, um, hooked up to machines. And it was like, this feels really good. I like this. Let's do this. And so every Wednesday I would go out with operation comfort and, we would ride bikes. And eventually they took me, they took me to Europe and we rode with, um, help for heroes, the British nonprofit over there. And we rode from Paris to London, which was a little over 300 miles in a bike. (laughs) So, but, um, yeah, so that opened the door to like, okay, well there's sports. There are, physical activities that i can do you know to like get you know get that feeling back and get some fresh air and and do things so then i tried all of them it was like it was a little taste and then i was like i want to try all of them um it just took me a little bit to get to that point because i went um the air force at the time was doing you know prep for warrior games um and so i got invited out to, to meet with them and like go to one of their sports camps and, um, see if I could be a a competitor in the warrior games. And so I went out and they gave you like an application and I was like, Hey, what sports are you interested in? And I was still brand new. It's like, well, I'll sign up for cycling because look, I can hand bike. (laughs) And, um, I can't swim because I tried and I swim in circles now and I shot rifle competitively growing up and in college at the Citadel, I shot air rifle. And I was like, oh, I'm familiar with an air rifle. I could do that. And so those were the only two things I signed up for. I didn't sign up for anything else because I can't do track. I don't run. I can't do field. I don't even know what that is. Can't swim. Like I said, um, never shot a bow. What else was there? There were all the things. And I showed up and I got my schedule and I was signed up for everything. I was signed up for shot put. I was signed up for discus. I was like, all right, this is a mistake. Um, and so they like were, had their initial little orientation. I waited, I didn't raise my hand, and I, I walked up to Cami, who was the one of the senior coaches at the time. I was like, um, there's been a mistake. I'm signed up for everything. And I mean, look at me. Like, I'm not gonna do everything. I don't, I can't do track. And she's like, Oh no, there was no mistake. <laughs> there was no mistake. we we'd like you to try them all because we think you would be a good all around. All-around athlete, and these are definitely all things that you can do. And so they taught me, and I got I went to all the clinics, and I learned how to do a proper freestyle stroke in the pool and go straight instead of in a circle. Um, and I tried a push rim wheelchair for track, which I don't love. I tried it. I've never liked running to begin with. I've never been a good runner, and I'm not a good push rim runner. So, um, tried shot put and discus from a chair. I tried archery. I did shoot, um, and I cycled, and yes, yeah, so I did all of them. I was like, great. Well, it was it was good to try them all. Let's see what else is out there. Um, got back to San Antonio. They have a very robust lead hockey team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, let's try that. I'm not a contact contact sport person to begin with, and these guys were Paralympians. Like Rico was on the team. Oh yeah, um, Jen Lee, the goalie. Yep. They've been to Sochi. They're medalists from the Paralympics. And I got on the ice in really stinky pads and tried to skate around with these guys. And it was, it was a lot of fun. I hid behind the net for most of the time, but I got out there and I was like, all right, this is not for me, obviously, but this is, it was just neat to be like, you know, what? I can tell people now. when then like, I talk about, you know, my story, I share my story. I'm like, I've tried hockey. <laughs> like I was on a hockey rink with hockey pucks with Olympians. Like how cool is that? I don't like it, but I'm not going to do it again. But I got to do that. Um, so yeah, I've there have there there have been sports that I haven't tried yet, but I'm open to trying them all. I'm very honest about like I'm not gonna love them all, but I'd like to try them. I was talking to um, it Terry recently about fencing? Is it Terry? Mm-hmm. And I was I've never even considered fencing, and I was like, do you know what, that could be cool. That could be fun. Tried wheelchair basketball, not good at it, so I don't do it. Um, I tried sitting volleyball again, not good at it because not a good sport like team sport contact sport or you know anything with a ball. It's not my jam. It never has been. Um I I thrive more in like the the individual sports and swimming and cycling. Um at one point during physical therapy, you know, I was coming towards the end. I was like, I want to push myself a little harder. There was a CrossFit gym in San Antonio that was doing free memberships for CFI patients and Jen Lee was a CrossFitter there. So I, like, I want to try that out. Let's go try that out.
0: And um loved it. Absolutely loved it. So take the ball out of the equation and you're good to go, right?
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> and there are people from my past, like during Air Force, my time in the Air Force, when we would have unit PT, sometimes they would want to do something fun, like instead of, you know, just the normal run around the track type fun and do like volleyball or volleyball or racquetball. And just they can tell you some stories about how Lieutenant Evans was not very good huh. at that. It would scream like a little girl if a ball came anywhere near
0: her, like just yeah. And so you did warrior games and you did Invictus games too, right?
1: I did. I did go to Invictus. I uh, won a gold in hand cycling.
0: Where did where did you go? Where was that? Where were those games?
1: London. I did the inaugural. Okay. Yeah. I got there twenty fourteen in London. Got to compete in the London Olympic Arena, which was just like getting in the pool. I was like, you know what, Michael Phelps probably peed in this pool, and I'm in this pool right now. Like it's just.
0: Just like wow, <laughs> that's, that's a that's an interesting thought. I I would not have made that made that uh, connection and and had that thought in my mind. <laughs> Nor would I want yeah. to have that thought in my mind when no. I. I'm sure you didn't. I'm sure
1: Olympians don't don't do that. But
0: still, <laughs> sure, they, sure they don't. <laughs> and, and so, uh, obviously, you had speed before. When when. How was how the transition of, of learning to ski? Obviously, since you had skied um, in Montana and on two legs, how was, it, how was that transition to, to learn how to ski on one leg?
1: I ski much better on one leg than I ever did on two. Because I can't trip myself. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I had learned how to ski, and I did it in Montana. And I had given up on skiing and switched to snowboarding. Because with snowboarding, you just you just sit down on your butt. Like, and just, if you run into trouble, you just scooch down on your, on your edge and mm-hmm. you're okay. And skiing had scared me because I had, you know, they tell you pizza, French fries, and I would cross my skis and eat it and couldn't just sit down. And the boots were more uncomfortable. I was like, you know, I'm gonna snowboard. Um, so I'd give it up on skiing. Cause I wasn't excelling at it. I wasn't, I probably, I could have, if I had applied myself, but I was like, you know, snowboarding, I can do snowboarding. Um, I choose that, um. But then snowboarding's not really, I mean, I'm sure there's an option out there for me to snowboard, but skiing is very much an option for me and I can three track. And I love it. I just absolutely love it. And I don't have to pizza anymore because I can't pizza, um, but it's, it's really, it's really cool. And I mean, I had a little bit of that foundation beforehand, so that might've given me a little bit of a head start. but I mean, it's completely different too. So the outriggers are a whole nother component and turning is different and stopping. Topping's pretty much the same you can still hockey
0: stop but um yeah yeah i'm, I'm horrible with crossing my skis too so i totally understand the, the point of view that you're that you're coming from and, and and besides besides sports i know that you're um you're going to school so what first of all why uh, did you make the decision to go back to school and what do you hope to do with with that
1: yeah so i think when I got pregnant with my first child, um, which actually wasn't supposed to be able to happen. Um, it was very unlikely that I would be able to get pregnant, um, because of all the treatment that I had, but that was a very wonderful blessing and a surprise. And, you know, I was ready for that challenge when it happened because I pushed myself, I had done all these things and accomplished all these things. I was like, all right, we're going to do this. Um, but when Tate was born, I decided, you know, I, I think I don't want to work right now i think i want to be a stay-at-home mom i was very very fortunate that we're in a situation where i can do that um I was like, and i want to support my husband who was going through you know a career transition at the time and i was like i could keep working but like i want we'll to child care and we're gonna we already knew we were moving um from dc to florida i was like we're gonna move soon anyway i don't want to have to go find you know, transition to a new job and learn a new job in a new area where we don't know anybody and find new childcare and and then we got pregnant again. (laughs) Um, It's like, this is is where my heart is right now, what my role, what I want to devote everything to is to raising these little children that I'm so fortunate to have and supporting my family and supporting my husband from the home and being the primary, you know, Caregiver to my kids, so that he can, you know, he took care of me when I was sick, and now he gets to go back and fly and focus on his career again. I want to do whatever I can do to support him in his career. Like, I don't want him to have to take any more, you know, like put it anything on like career related on the back burner for me or our family. Like, I I'm happy with this. Like, this is what I want to, do. and um, so for the past five and a half years, that's what I've been doing with the kids. And now they're starting, you know, to reach school age and we're settled here in Florida and we're going to be in Florida for a while, just a reservist now. And he's working on his PhD, um, and maybe starting a second career when that's done. Um, and so we're finally into like a good routine and I'm starting to think, you know, well, what do I want to do? What do I want to do for myself? Um, where do I want to go? And, you know, I, I. My days are still very, very full. Uh, I still, you know, pick up the kids, drop off the kids, have the kids' activities. Now we're, you know, getting into sports for them. Uh, <laughs> and, You know, keeping the house, and we've got the dog, and you know, all the things. Oh, and Tate's in Cub Scouts, and he's going camping this weekend, so I had to go, you know, get all his camping supplies figured out and pack his food. So you know, I'm still very busy, but I'm like, you know, they're gonna start needing me. They're still need me, right? They're they're my kids, but they're gonna start, you know, going to school for longer periods of time too. What am What am I going to do? What, what do I fill my cup with? And I still am very active in the gym. I became a trainer at the gym. So I teach a class once a week there and, um, I'll, you know, find volunteer opportunities. And I love my role as an ambassador with Move United. And so there's things I do, but I still have my GI bill. I still have it. And, uh, because of the time I separated from the military, mine will expire. They know. I guess they no longer do expire. But because I separated in twenty twelve, mine eventually will. And because I had my kids after I got out, I can't. I can't transfer it to them. And Joe has his GI Bill that he's using. So if I don't use it for myself, I just don't have it. Um, and so I'm kind of taking this period of life where my youngest is in preschool, so it's only part time. Um, so I'm not, I'm not ready to go back to work full-time yet because I, you know, want to be here for the him. So I can take these two years. I'll go to grad school. Um, it's been a while since I've been in school or done anything, but take care of my children and my house. Um, let's see, let's, you know, shake off some cobwebs and see if I still have this, like, and if I enjoy it, like enjoy this, you know, writing papers or using that part of my brain that I really haven't used in quite a while um, and use it kind of as a, as a trial is like, do I want to get back to work? Like, cause I can, like I, my disability does not like hold me back so much that I couldn't repursue a very fulfilling career, but it's just, you know, it's another transition in my life. And I I want to make sure I'm right, making the right choices and the right choices for my family. Um, and so I want to take this time to, get my graduate degree. And then, you know, when if I, if, and when I do start applying to positions, you know, I'm very comfortable explaining my break in work, right. You know, there's going to be on my resume, there's going to be this big gap where I stopped working and I am so confident in being, you know, I wanted to be there for my family and take care of my kids. And if that's a problem, then I don't want to work for you, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. but okay. now I can also say, but also look at what I did. I also, you know, got a graduate degree and worked on myself and, you know have this to show and and doing it in project management my background's in accounting and i worked as a budget analyst and i thought well this is a really good way to like round that out and mm-hmm. maybe open some other doors some new doors that i've never you know had opened to me before in the project management world um, and see what i want to do with that or you know maybe i won't
0: <laughs> and i think it's a very solid background in terms of having that finance and accounting background and on top of that, a project management uh, degree and education, that's, that would make a solid employee for a, a number of, of of companies or, or institutions. And so how old, are, how old are the kids now? How old is Tate and, and the younger one? They're five and three. Oh, my. <laughs> They're in preschool right now. Well, I really enjoyed um, talking with you, Sarah. Is there anything that we've not chatted about that you want to just kind of kind of
1: mention um I guess like with adaptive sports like as I continue on my journey right in life like I'm finding again in the beginning it was more opening up like my perspective on what I can do now like and then there aren't things that I can't do like I can do I can do anything you know I've climbed mountains I've competed internationally I've done marathon you know I've done. I've done all these amazing, amazing things. Like, and that was in the beginning. Like, look, you can the world, the world is yours. You can do whatever you want. And now that I've, you know, had this role as mom and and have a family, it's transitioned more into like, I want to do it with my kids. Like I want to experience the world with them. And so that pushes me. Like, I don't compete anymore. I'm not really like I I've lots of friends that are Paralympians and I've decided that that's not a journey for me. Like, and I'm blown away by them and their passion and the way that they're able to dedicate their lives to. Um, and for me, that's not something I'm interested in at this point. And I'm not sure ever. Um, and it's just a personal thing. that's just me, mm-hmm. but like, I still want to do sports with my children. I don't want to be on the sidelines. I don't want to not ski because, mom's disabled, she can't she can't play with you, basically. And um so there was a period of time during my pregnancies and recovering from pregnancies where I took all the steps back from sports, right? I didn't participate at all. Um but now that like a couple years ago Tate wanted to ski. I mean he was three and I was like this is a bad idea. He's too young but he did it and he was great. He put on the little boots and it was so cute. I was like I need to get back on the slopes. I need to start learning how to ski again like pretty rusty right now because I want to do it with him. Like I just pictured, you know, all those chairlift rides when he's 10, when they're both, you know, 10 or eight or, you know, preteen and those conversations that you have on the chairlift, which is about life. And
0: mm
1: -hmm. I don't want to miss those because I can't do it because I'm disabled. I don't want them to see a mom that like can't participate or has excuses or, you know, and they're, I mean, eventually they're going to do black diamonds and I'm not going to, (laughs) I will Separate myself from that, you know, so there's going to be things that they do that I can't. And I, you know, I'm comfortable with that and I'm at peace with that and I'm okay with that. But as long as I can, I want to be able to participate and do that with them. So that's, that's where, you know, sports is in my life right now is to continue to push myself so that I can participate. (laughs) And,
0: And, and that's where sports are for so many. I mean, we, we see a lot of the competition, and hear a lot about the elite level sport um, and athletes. But really it's, it's about, it's a family affair. And it's about just staying active, leading a healthy life, having fun and being with family. Exactly. Yep. Well, thanks for joining me.
1: Yeah. Thanks. I enjoyed this. It's always good to kind of reflect and look back on everything I've been with. Cause I, you know, life's just life now. I just am stressed about laundry, you know? and so it's it's nice to like think about my journey and remember remember what I've done